Whether you're just looking to stay warm during a hunt or need maximum concealment, the clothing you wear can make or break a hunt. At MidwayUSA.com, we understand hunting clothing has come a long way with more meticulously crafted camo patterns, advanced scent control technologies, and weatherproof options to withstand the elements. Hunters have to wait until their favorite season, but shouldn't wait on gear, which is why MidwayUSA offers super fast shipping. When you're ready for your next system, log on to MidwayUSA.com. Boat Trader, America's largest boating marketplace, offering easy financing and over 100,000 boat listings to choose from. Sell, find, and finance new or used boats on America's largest boating marketplace. Visit BoatTrader.com to get started. Like the most common thing I get in regards to a bear charge is like, man, I would have crapped my pants. Oh, I would have pissed myself. I promise you, if you have time to do that, you're not really getting charged by a bear. Once they feel like they've gotten their cash out of it, they'll just sell that land and then it's gone forever. Both sides in this battle are kind of using the same rhetoric, right? Um, they both say, yeah, we're pro-public land. Is becoming more and more rare. Is just the ability to, you know, listen to somebody's opinion, let them know your opinions, and uh, even if you don't agree, you can come away a little bit more informed, at least know what the other side's thinking. Even if you have the most successful season in your life, it is such a small, small part of of your year, of your, you know, your day out, if that's what you have, that uh, you better appreciate everything else. Hey, this is Ryan Callahan, and you're listening to Living Country in the City, episode 15. Y'all ready for your dose of flyover state spirit? Straight from the concrete jungle? Well, put down your latte and pull on your boots. It's time for Living Country in the City. Hey, y'all. Thank you so much for joining me for episode 15 of Living Country in the City. Today, I'm talking with First Light's Director of Conservation and Public Relations, as well as cultivator of probably the most famous and magnificent mustache in hunting, Ryan Callahan big issue facing us, probably one of the biggest issues facing hunters today, is the threat of losing our public lands. For those of you like myself, living in the city who rely heavily on public lands, not only for hunting, but for pretty much all of our outdoor activities, this is a topic that is incredibly important to be aware of, educated on, and frequently discussing. So who better to talk to than one of the most outspoken voices on the issue of public lands? Ryan, I know you're a busy guy, and I appreciate you taking the time to join me today. Oh, yeah, man. Much appreciated. I love this stuff. So I hope you'll allow me one small moment of just being a little bit of a fanboy before we, we get started. Um, I'm I'm a huge fan of Meat Eater. You know, I just, uh, it really, it's kind of my show. To, it gets me when I start getting discouraged about, oh my gosh, I've got so much to learn. I've got, you know, I'm never going to actually get anything, whatever it is. It's one of the shows that I watch that really gets me excited and pumped and you pretty much my favorite episodes are all the ones with you. Um, all right. So I just I was actually uh, I was uh, last night I was kind of watching a few episodes and I was uh, was watching the one uh, what's the what's the phrase the uh, smell me now lady. Oh yeah. I was I was just I was in tears watching that one because um, somebody was I was on a I was on a bear kick uh, recently because uh-huh. just everyone that's the first question they always ask when I tell them I'm you know going out to Idaho they're like well aren't you afraid of bears? I'm like, well, not really. I mean, yeah, they're out there, but you know, for the most part they're good. But I was, 
was on a bear kick and I was showing some people a bunch of different bear videos and stuff like that. So that one, that one popped up and just had me in tears, but uh, yeah, that's, that's going to be a tough one to live down. I don't don't (laughs) think it's going away. Yeah. I mean, that's a prime example of don't go into the woods with cameras, right? (laughs) At least if you're not prepared to, uh, to, uh, never live something down, I guess. Right. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So that, that, uh, like the most common thing I get in regards to a bear charge is like, man, I would have crapped my pants. Oh, I would have pissed myself. I promise you, if you have time to do that, you're not really getting charged by a bear. Like you may be in a situation, but it, uh, you got time for like one thought and, uh, you just kind of got to say, okay, this is my best course of action. And yeah, it feels like it's going slow, but it happens super fast. Um, yeah, that, that one turned out as good as it possibly could have. Um, and, you know, certainly I, I get very uh, analytical because, uh, you know, I, I think the more interactions of that type, uh, both for the bears and for myself, like you run out of good things happening, right? It's like eventually it's going to be a bad situation or, you know, that you've educated that bear for the next person that comes along. Um, she may play it a little differently the next time. So mm-hmm. Percentage wise, you've just, you've... Uh... <laughs> eliminated a few of your good chances and no that's a that's what i feel i feel like ooh, how lucky can one guy get because i've had a few of those encounters and uh they've all all turned out good so well here's hoping that uh all of us beat the percentages as much as as much as humanly possible but absolutely um so you know, I've got a wide, wide variety of people that listen to this. Why don't you uh, just give me a, a short introduction just about yourself and kind of your history with hunting and what, uh, what you do now? Sure. Uh, so I grew up in Montana, uh, fifth generation of uh, the fam, just got uh, birthed here about uh, two years ago. So um, got some pretty deep roots over there and um, really did uh, most of my growing up in Missoula and, and it's like the town where you cannot throw a rock without hitting a fishing guide or a real estate agent or a lawyer. <laughs> so, um, I went the fishing guide route, um, hunting guide route and, um, and Matt, yeah, I mean, it just absolutely took hold for me. And, and one of the, the main parts of the job that some people don't like, but I ended up really enjoying is just showing, you know, first timers, new folks, um, all the things that I enjoy. Right. So, um, and eventually, um, I ran into the founders of, uh, first light, Kent grew Scott Robinson. Um, and we ended up, you know, kind of collaborating and I'd help them out on the first light side of things. This is like in its infancy. Right. So, um, everybody had, uh, you know, at least one other job at that point and then, uh, came on full time in the winter of 2011. And, uh, I, I was the, uh, uh, sales marketing customer service person. And so we were all wearing a bunch of hats at that point. And then 
Uh, now I'm the director of conservation and public relations. So, um, you know, to sum that up, I get to work with a dude, everything on the philanthropic side and, uh, the conservation message is definitely like a pillar of our company. And it's something that we've always done. And, uh, just recently we've kind of started, um, really letting people know, um, where we stand on issues, um, you know, how we, uh, how we support different groups and, um, and, you know, the PR side of things is, is, um, you know, summed up by telling people how cool we are. (laughs) Well, to some extent, I think, uh, I think that speaks for itself, but, uh, (laughs) uh, so that really brings up, you know, what I wanted to talk to you about today. You are, uh, from everything I've seen, one of the most outspoken voices on the issue of public lands. You're, um, you're really, I feel like one of, one of the experts and that's why I wanted to talk to you today. And, um, you know, it's something I'll admit, you know, I'm fairly new to all of this. I'm, you know, I've always been a bit of an outdoorsman. I've always loved it, camping and all of this, but hunting, uh, in particular is a new thing to me, um, over the past maybe two years. And I've been learning more. I've been reading. I've been seeing, you know, all the Instagram posts and everything. And if you could just give us really what the big, big issue is facing us with our public lands, you know, and when we say, actually, let's start when we say public lands, what does, what does that mean? Yeah. So, uh, I'll I'll try to make this as easily digestible as possible, but, um, the, Basically, um, there's uh, lands that are managed by the states, and there's lands that are managed by the federal government, um, and those are broken down into uh, you know different uh, kind of governing bodies. So, U.S. Forest Service, uh, Bureau of Land Management, um, uh, you know, national parks um, on the state side. Um, state lands can be anything from an actual state park to, um, you know, uh, in, I, I mean, in the state of Idaho, a mine, a gravel pit, um, you know, land set aside, um, specifically for timber harvest and everything in between. And so the grand scope on the, um, federally managed lands, um, really encompasses everything because those lands, uh, had been set aside, um, for multiple use. Okay. And multiple use is, um, you know, from very, you know, selfish minded pursuits, like, uh, you know, hunting, fishing, uh, hiking to, um, you know, timber extraction, mineral extraction, uh, grazing rights, um, you know, shoot wind farms, you, you can, you know, you can do anything from make money to sit back and watch the clouds go by. So, um, and, and that's kind of the hard thing to wrap your head around on a lot of this stuff is, um, even though you think of it specifically for what you like to do, it's really there for multiple use. So, um, the issue that's going on right now, um, and it's a huge thing, but, um, is, uh, 
one side of it is, well, can the states manage these lands better than the feds? And, um, and there's a lot of finger pointings on both sides saying like, well, see the state screwed this up and the feds screwed this up. Um, the main difference to keep in mind here is the state land is state land specifically for the purpose of raising money for the state. Most okay. of the time it's for, um, education, um, and so, you know, when you see state land that is getting cleared of timber or um, like in the case I brought up here, you know, there's a, there's a gravel pit um, that is on state land. Uh, well, the state's making money off of, you know, the extraction of that resource and a percentage of that cash is going back to fund, you know, the schools in Idaho. So they're not doing anything wrong. They're doing what, what, uh, has been mandated for that land and that's what they deemed was the most appropriate use. Um, whereas on the, you know, the fed side of things, they have to look at a broader scope, right? They're saying, okay, is this the best possible use? There's mountain bike trails here. There's hiking trails here. There's a major recreation area. Um, you know, a healthy elk herd, healthy deer herd or whatever the case may be. So they have to look at all that and say, yes, we're going to allow, um, a certain amount of timber extraction or yes, we're going to allow uh, a mine to open up um, because we've determined that that's the best possible use, um, even though we factored in the recreation side of things. So um, it gets a little tricky there, but you know, the main thing for folks to remember is, you know, the, we don't, from a first light perspective, we don't see this as a real political thing, right? This is where, you know, our customers, you know, we've done our internal studies and surveys and, you know, 80% of our customer base hunts exclusively on public land. So uh, we've always looked at that and kept that in mind um, when we are vocal on issues, because, you know, if this stuff were to go away, go away tomorrow, you could, you know, make a case for saying that 80% of our business would go away tomorrow. So, um, you know, that's, that's really the first light perspective on this stuff. You know, personally, it's, you know, certainly all I've really ever had. That's, um, that's where I go and do everything I enjoy from, you know, this time of year, it's picking up shed antlers, picking mushrooms. Um, you know, there's definitely like some late scene skiing here, but it goes through backcountry skiing, mountain biking, you know, hunting, fishing, everything that you can possibly do is found on public land, you know, land that you can use and everybody in LA can go use. Um, and, and so it's a resource for the people and, you know, people need to, uh, even if they're not enjoying it, they should be, uh, feel a lot better that the stuff exists. You know, of course, public land's very important to me considering, you know, I live in a 450 square foot apartment. I don't exactly have much acreage. But one of the one of the things I run into a lot is I get I I'm a libertarian. Um, I you know I tend to lean uh, and I grew up conservative as well, so I tend to lean a little bit more towards the the state side of things and like that. And I get a lot of people that talk to me and say, "Okay, yeah, this is all." this is all great stuff. The argument I get from them 
is, well, isn't this just another form of welfare? Isn't this just taking money away from from people and putting it towards, um, you know, towards something that, that they're not going to use, basically giving away someone else's money? How would you respond to that? Oh, you know, just off the hip, I'd say there's probably a lot of those folks that have a lot of things that aren't in use, but they value them. Um, <laughs> these lambs, you know, just because there's nothing, you know, happening right now with them that they find valuable. There's plenty of folks out there that see a lot of value in those things being totally left alone. You know, I am a user uh, of this system um, and probably way more so than yourself just because of, you know, where we live, right? So I get to use it every single day, for sure, every single weekend. and it's, it's super easy. You know, I get to hop on the mountain bike and zip out of the office and I'm on a uh, national forest in the blink of an eye and um, can go ride for an hour and come right back to the office. So the ski hill here, um, you know, that, that's a good example of um, a company that has a lease with the Forest Service. They're making money off of that lease. Um you know, but the bus stops right out in front of the office. I can hop on that and be in the lift line in 10 minutes and and go ski on National Forest Ground, paying money to do so even. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I truly don't see it as a form of welfare at all. I mean, those you can definitely, like, look at these areas as a power plant of sorts that is – providing, you know, uh, clean air, it's filtering our water. It's, um, certainly providing an incredible mental escape also. So, um, there's a giant mental health argument there and, and we're, we're paying for it. So, um, you know, I, there's certainly some pitfalls in that, that statement from the libertarian point of view, but, (laughs) You know, the, the the land is at work. There may not be smokestacks rolling out of it, but it is, you know, it's working around the clock for everybody. So, Hunting boots are a critical component of any successful hunt. Whether walking a short distance to your blind or trudging miles through rugged terrain, your feet are carrying the load. Without the right boots, you could give up early and lose out on that trophy just over the ridge. At Midway USA, we make selecting boots for your next hunt easier. With just a few clicks of a mouse, you can decide on what's important, like waterproofing, insulation, size, width, and savings. For just about everything for shooting, hunting, and the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. And so you touched on it a little bit, uh, just with kind of the difference between the federally owned and the state-owned lands. Um, Just the concept of the the purpose of the state-owned lands is to make money for the state. Uh, versus versus the federally owned lands, and uh, maybe we could get into a little bit more about what um, what do you see as the biggest issues with? Because uh, I guess a lot of the issue is uh, the federal government wanting to uh, turn over control of these lands to the state. Is that is did I say that correctly? Well, it's the opposite. So oh, the opposite. It, Yes. So, um, the, there's certain players in a lot of states 
um, that are advocating very hard for control of federal lands. And they want to control those from the state level. So um, there's a lot of um, things in place. Uh, if you were to deal with the federal agency, um, such as, you know, environmental controls, uh, studies that have to be done um, that you can, um, that you don't really have to deal with from a state level. Uh, NEPA is a big uh, prime example of that. So um, imp environmental impact assessment. Um, so if the state manage it, manages these lands, potentially, um, you know, big industry can come in and, you know, make a bid for, um, you know, extractive use um, in a much easier way than they can with the Fed. Um, because the state is looking to make money off of that land, I, you know, I certainly believe that the probability of, you know, way more, you know, landscape marring extractive use would go on at, at the definite, uh, you know, deficit of the things that I like to do, which is just go out and enjoy it. So, okay. So and, this is, know. this is more of a push then from the state to control these federally owned lands versus, uh, not as much like, uh, the federal government trying to give this back to the states is what you're saying. Yeah. Now the, Yes, and, and the feds truly aren't looking to control more land. Um, you know, the states have, you know, one thing that the states can do is once they uh, have a section of land that they feel that they aren't getting the return that they need from it, because all of these things cost money, whether it's road maintenance, uh, fire prevention, um, you know, any number of things, they see a diminishing return on that resource, right? So they have to pay to manage it. Um, so a lot of times they'll, uh, once they feel like they've gotten their cash out of it, they'll just sell that land and then it's gone forever. So the state has this, you know, long running history of selling off the land that they were given. So that's a major, major concern. If they were to take over uh, a lot of these federally managed lands, we would see, you know, a, the same process being played out where all of a sudden we may or may not be able to go play on it if it's state managed. Because there's plenty of state, really it's private ground that's managed by the state, state-owned ground, and they can choose to let people on it or not. Mm -hmm. And they can also choose to just sell it outright. And that's, and, you know, my major fear there. Yeah. And it's, and it's unfortunately not always places like, you know, BHA or the Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation that are making the, the bids on these, you know, best case scenario, hopefully it's, it's maybe some rancher that it, it might at least, you know, leave it, uh, leave it as private access. And, um, but, you know, worst case scenario, what we're looking at, uh, people that want to do, clear cutting and just destroy this land. Um, yeah. It, you know, there's responsible ways to do that too, you know? Um, and you know, it, I'm not uh, foolish to think that stuff isn't a necessary 
part of uh, how we're, you know, growing as a country, but, um, you know, it's got to be done responsibly. And, um, you know, this, the record of state management, um, particularly as far as, you know, that land being gone with, you know, no hope of, of returning to public access is, is there. And, you know, I, I firmly believe that the, the state should not be getting any more land to manage. You know, the biggest uh, thing that gets brought up constantly is, you know, um, the bill for your average fire, right? We have this crazy winter here, super wet spring already. We're going to see major growth uh, in the underbrush, grasses. Um, if all of a sudden the tap shuts off, everything dries out, we could have an insane fire season. And, you know, right now, you know, it's the feds that are paying for that stuff. So if the state takes over those lands, the states are going to have this giant bill and, you know, quite, quite likely because they have to balance their budget. Unlike the federal government, um, they're going to be like, holy shit, we got to sell this stuff because we cannot maintain it. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I've I've actually heard lawsuits can tend to be a problem as well when people get injured on uh, on state land or uh, yes, absolutely. Like I mean, you go to you know any you know national forest um, there. I mean, just look at the infrastructure that's set up for um, the different user groups. You know, trailheads. Uh, you know, lots and lots of toilet facilities improved campground, potable water. Um, and I mean, you see it every day in the city where, you know, somebody trips on a crack or slips in the wrong spot and they feel like the city should have uh, been on top of that and city's in the wrong for not providing like a safe walking path. Right. So, um, I mean, that stuff happens uh, all the time on, on, you know, forest service roads, forest service campgrounds, um, and, and that would certainly be a burden to the state as well if they were to manage it. So what's the status of things right now? What, um, uh, you know, we've got, I guess, some bills being proposed still. Uh, what's, where, what's the current landscape? Where do things lie? Well, you know, one of the, the kind of the key things in the crosshairs right now is, um, the, uh, investigation into uh, recently designated monuments. Uh, monument is a very tricky thing uh, because they're all unique. And I feel like they're probably the least understood um, uh, thing we have out there when it comes to public lands because um, so, um, you know, Bears Ears is, is one of the primary ones um, that's uh, getting a, uh, another look right now. Um, so monument, everybody, you know, think of like the Washington monument, right? There's no hunting or fishing there that I'm aware of. Um, and that's what people think of as a monument. Well, um, here south of Ketchum or, uh, south, uh, uh, east of Ketchum is the craters of the moon national monument. It's this giant lava flow. It is totally badass. It's really cool. Um, when that was designated as a monument, um, 
through the process, they somehow determined that it was going, going to be more of a visitor center. Um, no hunting, no fishing allowed down there. Whereas previously you could hunt out there, uh, quail, big mule deer, um, look at bears ears and bears ears is, um, yeah, they restricted some motorized access. Um, they did, uh, curb a little bit, a very small percentage of hunting, which, um, I'm certainly not a fan of, um, but uh, a lot of hit the historical use there is protected. So, um, you know, the, uh, tribes in the area can use the area as they have historically. Um, uh, uh, Missouri river, um, you know, the, uh, Missouri river breaks, uh, monument, almost all historical use was protected there. So, um, there's cattle grazing, camping, hunting, fishing. Um, so none of these monuments are truly alike. And there are some that don't allow hunting. There's some that, uh, are limited access. There's, um, you know, it, it's a tough thing to just kind of make a blanket statement and define. Um, whereas a wilderness area is, you know, people kind of go, okay, wilderness, it's wild. And they feel like there's some understanding there, but you know, there's a more, um, kind of, uh, more of a bulletproof. This is what a wilderness area is, whereas monument is very tricky. So, um, you know, I, I truly hope that this bears ears, uh, national monument, the Missouri river breaks national monument stay the way they are. Um, because that, that is just bad country. And for the most part, you can, still go do what you want to want to go do in those areas. So, and go out and enjoy it. You know, not all this stuff is, is super cut and dry. Um, the, you know, the main thing I tell people is, you know, it, it's far better to get informed on this stuff. Um, rather than just hop online and saying like, Oh yeah, that makes sense because both sides in this battle are kind of using the same rhetoric. Right. Um, they both say, yeah, we're pro public lands. Um, but you know, from the state side of things, there's some truth to that, that yeah, we're pro public lands, but the other side of that is until we get in a deficit, we need to sell them. Whereas on the federally managed side of things, you know, their mandate right now is, you know, they're recognizing that recreation is, uh, you know, super important to the American people. It's super important to uh, their bottom line as well. So managing for recreation has become uh, more and more of an important thing for um, on the federally managed land side. So, you know, I really feel like this is one of those issues that regardless of where you are on the political spectrum can bring a lot of people on either side together. You know, you have people who gravitate more toward on the right, you know, to more towards the hunting and fishing aspects of things general, you know, and I'm making generalizations of course, but then you have a lot of people on the left who are more passionate about preserving nature and animals, uh, preserving animals in their natural habitat and things like that. Um, and you know, while we are all coming at it from possibly different directions with a little bit different motivations and reasons, uh, 
it's one of those things where we're all to some extent fighting the same battle and you know we may disagree on a lot of stuff but this is one spot where we can all come together and fight together and i think that's really important oh i i absolutely think so too and and um you know i I, yeah to speak just kind of personally where i lie politically it's i i feel like you know, I could never register one way or another because, uh, you know, I, I'm trying to dissect everybody and I'm not voting on a clear party line. Right. Um, I, uh, during my very brief, uh, uh, you know, college career, uh, I had this class called the historian's craft, the uh, history anthropology. And, um, like, this is how you write a good paper you read both sides, you analyze both sides, and then you come up with your own opinion. And, uh, you know, being naive, I thought that's just the way the world works. Right. <laughs> so, so that's, that's what I've been doing. Um, and yeah, and so, you know, I have friends on every part of the political spectrum, you know, um, I was just down hanging with some buddies in Texas who I love them to death and, and, they are as as right side of the world as as it gets, uh, but you know when it comes to the land, um, you know my my uh, stepdad's a prime example. You know he works for uh, Robo Agrifinance, largest ag financer in the world. He's a beef guy. He can tell you the price of beef at any given point of the day, day to day, <laughs> and. You know, he tells me all the time, he's like, yeah, you know, I think uh, hunters and ranchers are the two groups that respect the land the most because you can't grow good beef without good grass and good forage. And um, so they have a vested interest in protecting that land if they're doing it the right way, um, because that's what's going to um, get them a paycheck at the end of the year. So, um, you know, and and so to me, you can totally be, you know, the hippie hiker person cruising through the woods and just enjoying things and, and have, you know, a very like-minded conversation with the dude and his, uh, wranglers who's sweating it out on top of a horse, chasing cattle around through the brush, you know? So, um, it, 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 it really should not be a political conversation at all. I mean, the land is providing so much more than most folks give it credit for. And it's for everybody, you know, it's not picking sides. Knives, machetes, saws, and shears, multi-tools, shovels, swords, axes, spears, hatchets, and tomahawks. If it cuts, snips, slices, or chops, Midway USA has it. Find great gift ideas in our huge selection of pocket knives and other everyday carry folding knives. Make a statement or create a family legacy with one of our top-of-the-line hunting knives. We've got a great selection of manual and electric sharpeners, too. For just about everything for the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. So we talked a little bit about kind of the current state of things, uh, where things lie now. Where where do you see things going? What do you see? What, what kind of concerns you coming up and what do you feel, what encourages you, uh, that you see in the, uh, in the next few years? Um, you know, I, the concerning parts to me is we've really 
come to feel like the whole political uh, scene is this very hands-off, um, hopefully I make it and vote, you know, every four years type of deal. Um, whereas, you know, the whole system was set up as very hands-on, uh, we the people type of deal. And, and I know on these issues um, regarding lands and access, um, you know, I, I've seen firsthand people realize that they can call their elected officials. They can email their elected officials. There's not going to be any sort of backlash. And that's truly how this system is set up. You got to, you elected people to represent you. It doesn't stop there. It's your responsibility to let them know how you feel. Um, and that's the way that they are supposed to vote. They're supposed to represent, you know, the people in their, uh, constituency. So, um, and that's, that's what I'm feeling better and better about is I'm seeing more and more people that, um, were totally hands off, probably didn't even vote, start waiting in, shooting emails out, writing letters, uh, making phone calls. Um, and, and I, I do feel good about that because that's, that's what needs to happen. Like get on mailing lists, um, mm-hmm. even for groups that you do not support. And, you know, read and see, see what everybody's talking about and see how, where people fall on their side of the issue and, and, um, and then don't stop there and call in, email in. I'd almost rather see people who, uh, who don't, don't vote in the big elections, but will sit and will write letters and will, will visit and will, send emails and and petition for things versus someone who will vote in these big elections but then never take any responsibility afterwards. I mean, yeah, you know, so I'd rather have both. them take play I'd rather have them take part in both aspects, but you know, if if you're going to pick one, I'd rather you actually get hands-on and dig in and and do the footwork rather than just voting and washing your hands and saying, "Okay, I did my part. I'm done." Oh yeah, you, you do yourself a tremendous, tremendous favor to just you know hop online, look at you know when your next you know city council meeting is, when your next uh, you know fishing game public forum is, and just totally just go sit there. And it is amazing. It is so eye opening. I, I hit every one that I can around here because you go, oh my god that's where those people are coming from because that's what they, they truly believe or it's, you know, totally misinformed or, you know, it's, it's amazing what, you know, those, those public forums kind of bring, bring to light and you'll learn a lot about your neighbors for sure. (laughs) Good, good and bad. I can imagine. Yeah. Good and bad, but you know, you got to be able to um, have the discourse. And I, I think that's what, you know, it's so cool about podcasts is it's, you know, setting time away specifically to talk about, you know, an issue or just talk and have some back and forth. And I, I feel like, you know, that's certainly something that, that uh, is becoming more and more rare is just the ability to, you know, listen to somebody's opinions, 
let them know your opinions. And uh, even if you don't agree, you can come away a little bit more informed, at least know what the other side's thinking. So, Absolutely. And that's, that's one of the things I love most about starting this podcast and doing it is, is yeah, I'm excited to get this information out to people, but I really value what I get to learn and the time I get to sit down with folks like you and, and really educate myself and, and, and learn more. You know, like I said, I'm still pretty brand new at this. Um, and I don't always fully grasp a lot of these topics and, and you've really opened my eyes, uh, to a lot more of the, I guess, intricacies of it, if that's the right way to phrase it. But, uh, um, so now if people did want to get involved with, uh, uh, with this issue, if they wanted, uh, what's, what's the best way for them to, to get started, get talking to these people? Well, uh, I, I, I really do like, uh, uh, Teddy Roosevelt conservation partnership, uh, backcountry hunters and anglers, um, national wildlife federation. There's also, uh, NWF sportsman, which is national wildlife federation, uh, sportsman side of things, but, um, you can sign up, get action alerts, um, and just read them. And if something, you know, hits home, then, you know, you follow through the link and, uh, you know, email your elected officials and, and then you can call them up. And, you know, I, I've sent a lot of emails and made a lot of phone calls and I've never actually gotten anybody on the phone other than, you know, uh, intern. So, um, it's not a scary thing. And most of the time they're just, you know, checking boxes saying, boy, we got a lot of phone calls on this issue today. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's important and you're part of the process that way. So, um, uh, you know, it's, it's always way more beneficial to say, Oh yeah, you know, I actually did learn about that issue and this is what I got from this side. Um, and that at least, you know, you're going to keep the information flowing. Um, that, that to me is the simplest, easiest way of doing things. Fantastic. Now, if people wanted to, uh, find you online, keep up with you, uh, maybe check out some of the, some of the stuff, uh, you've talked written about, uh, where's the, where's the best places to do that? Oh, uh, you know, really like I, I slide in a little bit of this stuff on my Instagram account. That's about the only thing I'm super active on right now. Um, and then, you know, the, the occasional podcast like this one is, is a great thing too. But, uh, yeah, the, the handle is, uh, old cow 406, um, which, uh, everybody always thinks I'm an old man. So that's where that came from. <laughs> I love it. Um, so, uh, one last thing before we winding down, uh, you know, once again, this podcast is directed towards people that are either brand new to hunting or folks like myself living in the city who may feel just a little overwhelmed, intimidated by all of this stuff. There's so much to learn, so many subjects, uh, all of this, all of this stuff. Uh, do you have any just words of encouragement for, uh, for these people that, that feel like, Oh my gosh, there's so much I have to learn so much I have to do before I can, I can get out and enjoy these public lands. 
Well, uh, yeah, I mean, from a hunting perspective, one thing that I just hate about the hunting industry is we go out of our way to make something that's already intimidating, like somebody Everest intimidating. And it's just <laughs> not. Uh, if I counted my success by actually taking something home, I, I would not be hunting because, man, the failures are so, so outweigh the successes if you look at it that way. So you got to embrace the failures because to me, it's like the most intense continuing education course I have, right? I learn so much every single time and, uh, and I'm doing it constantly. So you got to embrace embrace the failures, kind of embrace the suck part of it, because <laughs> that's what's going to eventually lead to, you know, a certainly consistent amount of success. So, um, yeah, just go out, go out there, um, look online, call, um, you know, for anything that you want to do, you know, these agencies are set up there for you. We're paying them to do their job. So call, and say, hey, I, you know, this is what I'm interested in. Can you point me in the right direction? Whether that's, you know, fishing, hunting, birding, um, getting up to a tall peak, you know, what it, whatever. But then when you go out there, if you don't make it to the top or you don't find what you're looking for, um, you know, definitely slow it down and, and look at what you did find. And, and, you know, certainly be thankful for getting out of the house in the smog. <laughs> Definitely always thankful anytime I can do that. And, um, you know, whether or not I'm hunting, whether it's just a, a weekend out in the desert camping or walking the dogs up on a, up on one of the foothills, it's, it's definitely, uh, definitely a lot better than Netflix on the couch. However much I do enjoy, uh, enjoy meat eater, but, uh, <laughs> <laughs> all right. Yeah. No, it, uh, yeah, it, it uh, you know, I, I think we, we certainly we throw folks up on this pedestal that are like, oh, they're the best. They're constantly achieving their goals, or at least that's what we see. And, um, oh man, yeah, there's, there's just, I always say the, uh, the trigger pulling part of it is so, so small. Like if you add up those moments, mm-hmm even if you have the most successful season in your life, it is such a small, small part of, of your year of your, you know, your day out, if that's what you have that, uh, you better appreciate everything else, especially putting food on the table. Cause you know, um, my buddies and I, when we get together and really cook, you know, four hour long dinner is pretty standard deal. So, that's that's where the real enjoyment comes out so no absolutely and uh you know i just want to say thank you so much for taking the time out of your day today and uh, joining me on the call um i really think there's a lot of great stuff and i'm excited to get the word out a little bit more uh, just to people that may not may not know as much about it about our public lands and and how important it is to keep them keep them public yes sir absolutely and uh if uh, we send out some mailers and stuff through First Light, and that's www.firstlight.com, um, campfire blog, we're putting in a lot of conservation message in there too, and um, you can kind of see, uh, you know, how a scary hunter's 
send things out. <laughs> well, thanks again for hopping on the call. I really appreciate it. Yeah, man, I appreciate it. Thanks much. That was fun. All right, y'all, that'll do it for episode 15 of Living Country in the City. To find out more about Ryan, First Light, and the public lands issue, make sure you head on over to our show notes page at livingcountryinthecity.com slash 15. If y'all enjoy this podcast and want to help it grow, make sure that you're subscribing. Also, give us a good rating on your favorite podcast platform. Finally, if you'd like to help support the podcast, head on over to livingcountryinthecity.com slash Amazon. Bookmark the link and use it whenever you do your Amazon shopping. But in the meantime, stay country, y'all. Thank y'all for listening to Living Country in the City. Get show notes and check out the blog, product reviews, events, and more at livingcountryinthecity.com. Pursuing wild game in wild places. Tune in to Hunt Stand Presents Saturdays at 8.30 p.m. Eastern. Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment. You want to succeed, you want to fish, you want to be one of the greatest. Tune in to West Marine's Life on the Water, presented by Costa Custom Boats, every Saturday night from 7 to 9 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV.